Welcome to the Continuing Education Podcast for CASA Volunteers, connecting you with experts who can advance your advocacy for children and families. I'm your host, Maggie Halpin, and this is CASA on the Go. Welcome back, everyone. I am so, so happy to have with me today my amazing and incredibly knowledgeable colleague, Leslie Koch who is going to help us demystify the minimum sufficient level of care, or what we call the MSL. And this is something that we talk about a lot in pre-service training. It's so, so core to CASA advocacy and to understanding child safety and parental rights. So we'll be talking about where the MSL comes from, why it's important, and how to make sure it's the guiding force behind our recommendations. And Leslie brings to this conversation not only her profound legal savvy as an attorney and a mediator, but also 14 years in several different roles with CASA. So Leslie, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and sharing your extensive knowledge with us. Would you share a little bit with our listeners about your background and work with CASA? Um, Hi, Margaret. Um, Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I'd love to. I've had a passion for CASA advocacy for a really long time now, as you noted. I started working with Texas CASA a little over five years ago as a CFE coach. And then I worked with the VCA team to develop a legal training, and it led me to joining the VCA team. So presently, I'm the VCA development specialist, and I'm really focused on supporting the CASA staff members who work directly with our volunteers. Um, Probably more importantly to our audience is that I was a CASA volunteer myself for nine years before coming to Texas CASA and remain as passionate about the work today as when I completed pre-service back in 2008. Wow. Well, I'm so excited um, to talk with you about the minimum sufficient level of care and what it means in action for our advocacy So could you talk a little about where the MSL comes from? Um, Sure. So to really understand MSL, it really does help to understand where it comes from and why we use it. So to start at the very beginning, federal funding is provided to the states to improve the safety of children, promote permanency for children who need it, and to support families. And so in 1980, the Adoption Assistance and Child Welfare Act was adopted, and it provided policies for this funding to the states. Later in 1997, the Adoption and Safe Families Act was signed into law, and it made some changes and clarifications to the policies in place that assisted the states in protecting and caring for abused and neglected children. Specifically, these laws and those that have followed require state law to specify that the child's health and safety are of paramount concern during neglect and abuse cases. And because removing a child from their home is such a drastic remedy and very traumatic for the child, reasonable efforts must be made for a child to remain in their home or to be returned to their home. The Texas law that requires reasonable efforts is found in the Family Code, Section 262. So reasonable efforts is a legal term, and it's interpreted very broadly with quite a bit of ambiguity when applied. Um, The term reasonable efforts has not been more clearly defined by legislature or case law because that would go against the law's intent 
that reasonable efforts be considered on a case-by-case basis. Mm. Texas law, like, really doubles down on that because they specifically say that reasonable efforts should be consistent with the circumstances and providing for the safety of the child. So we really look at the individual child and the individual family each time to determine if reasonable efforts have been made to preserve or reunify that family. Um, So what does that have to do with MSL, right? (laughs) I haven't used MSL um, once. The judges use the MSL standard as a practical way to interpret whether reasonable efforts required by law have been made to preserve or reunify a family. Um, they, They use MSL as sort of a yardstick to measure when a child should be removed or reunited with their parents. Reasonable efforts are shown to have been made when a minimal level of care, like one that is truly possible for any parent to reach, is used in considering the facts and information identified on each case. So it really keeps the decision maker and the fact gatherer, right, focused on what is the least detrimental alternative for the child. And it protects to some degree from individual biases and value judgments of everyone in the child welfare system. So we all use this um, yardstick to measure um, whether or not a child should be with their family or not. So MSL discourages unnecessary removal from the family and unnecessarily long placements in foster care. Um, So why do we use it? Why does that affect our CASA recommendations and advocacy? So simply put, the court looks at the facts and observations CASA uses as the basis for their recommendations regarding the child and family. And therefore, for our recommendations and advocacy to be of any value to the judge and the court and to abide by the applicable laws, CASA must also use the MSL lens and base their recommendations and advocacy on that minimally adequate standard. Awesome. Thank you so much for breaking that down. Um, Let's kind of connect this to another uh, Uh, concept in CASA advocacy. Can you talk about how the MSL is related to best interest? Um, Sure. So the statutory guidelines found in the family code and um, the Holly factors provide CASA with a roadmap for the facts and information we use as the basis of our best interest recommendations and advocacy. So we know what they're looking for and what we're supposed to look at to make those recommendations and draw those conclusions. So when investigating or interviewing and observing on our cases or reviewing case files, we're looking for facts and information to support these best interest recommendations and our advocacy. And we include these facts and all of this information in our court reports, testimony, even in our case notes. The MSL standard is the lens we rely on to guide us when we both collect and interpret all of the information we gather and base our best interest advocacy and recommendations on. So it's sort of our our checks and balances as we're gathering and interpreting information. Okay, great. Thank you, Leslie. That's super helpful. And so now we've kind of like you've reoriented us like, yes, the MSL, it's about the the child, the child's most basic needs, you know, their 
uh, food, safety, medical needs, attachment needs, educational needs um, on a on a minimum level. Let's talk about like, when does this MSL come up in CASA advocacy? Is this something that just comes up at certain points on a case? Um, no, no. <laughs> we need to look through our MSL lens all the time at every step to keep the child's best interest in constant focus through a measurable and attainable lens. Um, throughout the case, we're gathering information, right? With every point of contact we make, um, every paper or court report we read, every observation of the family or the child, and every discussion we have with the other parties to the case. So it's important to be actively looking for a minimally adequate level of safety and connection between the child and family for to best serve the children in care and make valuable recommendations to the court, right, regarding the child and family. Um, we know the bond between the child and parent is far more important and critical to long-term development of that child than how clean a home is. So if that home is physically and emotionally safe for that child, that is the threshold that we're looking for. As CASA advocates, um, we're just constantly checking our individual biases and value judgments with our MSL lens um, to break the natural instinct that we all have, right? To draw conclusions and make recommendations based on our own values and experiences. The MSL standard's not looking for that ideal situation. It's a set of very minimum conditions and it remains the same um, throughout the case when considering removal and reunification. If we remember that our role is to advocate for services necessary for a child to go home safely, if we start there with the assumption that a child's family is usually the best setting for raising and nurturing that child, even, Maggie, when their lifestyle, beliefs, resources, and actions are just radically different from ours, the best interest of that child is best served when we set that bar at minimally adequate. Yeah, that's, I want to just reflect back something that you said, because it was so powerful. The bond between the child and their parent is far more important and critical, you said, than, you know, whether um, the house meets my own personal, like, standard of cleanliness, for example, um, or, you know, I share certain, like, cultural beliefs about this or that with that parent. And so, um, thank you for reminding us, like, yes, the, the MSL is there as like a bumper to make sure we're not making uh, recommendations based on like our own personal uh, values, beliefs, like, you know, kind of like cultural lens, um, but rather really through the lens of like, yeah, what are the minimum needs of, of this child? Um, and can this, you know, family sh like demonstrate that they're able to meet that? And if not, what are the resources that are needed, the supports that are needed to um, help move them forward towards that goal? And how can we participate in advocating for, for those um, services, resources, et cetera, to be put, put into place? And something else that I was thinking of, too, is, you know, sometimes some advocates might have the idea that, like, reunification should like be recommended when the parents have completed the court ordered services. 
But completion of services actually isn't the threshold that we use for recommending reunification. It's whether the parent or caregiver is demonstrating that they can meet the MSL for their child or their children. And working services to address safety concerns is typically part of that. But we really need to like push back on the idea that we're just waiting for services to be completed. That parent absolutely might show that they can meet the MSL before, you know, completing XYZ service. So um, and a great point that I've heard you make, Leslie, is that the MSL is not just about poverty. It's about culture, too. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So while MSL is unique for each child, there are also commonalities and situations and factors to consider in establishing what the MSL is for a particular child. Um, so these key parameters are based on the child's needs social standards, and community standards. The child's needs do not just consider physical and material needs met by financial stability, but they include emotional well-being and development. We know a child's well-being very much includes a sense of belonging to their family, to their culture, to their community, and therefore an understanding of a particular child's cultural practices is important when considering the MSL standard for that child and family. Um, We need to consider whether a caregiver's behaviors are within commonly accepted child-rearing practices in their community and not just our community or our home. Um, A good example of this, um, community and cultural practices for children who are American Indian may look very different than those in which the CASA volunteer resides. So it's important to look at commonly accepted practices for that child's culture and community. For this example, sources for information about that child's cultural practices may include their parents, the tribal child welfare worker, some relatives of the child, or even other tribal members. Again, we use MSL as a way of finding that balance to maintain a child's right to safety and permanence, while not ignoring the parents' right to raise their own children the way they see fit, taking into consideration the particular circumstances and needs of each child on that same case-by-case basis that we talked about earlier. Um, Another good example of when MSL applies culturally is higher education. And so this one is especially tough for some volunteers and CASA staff, right? We don't need to analyze how successful or smart or formally educated someone is as long as they can provide a safe home and minimally adequate access to education and resources based, again, on that child's developmental needs. So with each piece of information CASA gathers, the MSL lens asks whether the parent's behavior falls within reasonable limits given the specific community in which the family resides. Looking at, for example, let's see, the age at which it's deemed safe for a child to be left alone. That could be completely different and vary from urban to suburban to rural communities. And we have programs in in all of those communities. Um, Even something as simple as sending a young child to the store might depend on the neighborhood, the time of day, that child's developmental abilities, 
It's important to ask questions and discuss the MSL standard for each child in the family individually before drawing conclusions and making recommendations for that child and family. Mm, I love that emphasis on getting curious and how much asking questions and really listening is so key to um, our role and, and gathering the information that we need to really make an informed decision when it comes to assessing the MSL. Um, great. Well, when we are making recommendations to the court, what can we do or what can we keep in mind to make sure that our recommendations are really grounded in the MSL? Um, so just like you were saying, there's really quite a few questions we can ask ourselves that help us use the MSL lens. Um, for starters, could the child be safely returned home today? And that question goes back to you saying it's, it's not about have they checked off all their services, have they, you know, done exactly what's on paper, but, you know, using that MSL standard, can the child be safely returned home today using a minimal, uh, minimum sufficient level of care lens, right? Um, if not, are the CASA volunteers' personal beliefs and values preventing them from recommending reunification? So by identifying what is specifically preventing CASA from recommending reunification, they can run that information through their MSL lens and ask themselves, are the parents able to provide consistent care at the most basic level that keeps the child safe and protected physically, emotionally, and developmentally. Um, some other really good questions that they can ask themselves um, to make sure they're using their MSL lens is, what are the individual needs of this child and how are the parents demonstrating an ability to meet this child's unique needs at the most basic, not idyllic, level? Mm. Um, I really do think we should be regularly asking ourselves, what more can I do to keep the child connected to their community and culture? And who or what is the best source for understanding the child's community and culture? So um, making sure they're connected and then asking the family what that culture looks like, right? Who's the best person to get information about the family from? So finally, and most importantly, like you said, we need to stay curious. We just can't say this enough. We really have to challenge ourselves every day to follow up when we learn anything new on our cases. If we really want to advocate in the best interest of each child and family. Um, ask yourself tough questions. Engage the families. Talk to your supervisors and other parties on the case specifically about the MSL and what that looks like on this case and for that child. Um, so, so before we wrap up, I kind of wanted to give your listeners the nutshell version. Um, awesome. Ju just in case there's some people that are like, oh, that was a lot. Here it goes. So we know both law and good practice require that children remain with or return to their family whenever possible to do so and keep the child safe. Therefore, we must focus our attention in CASA advocacy on the child's most basic needs and whether or not they are being met, even when the family's lifestyle 
parenting style, beliefs, resources, all of their actions are very different from what we are used to. We use the MSL lens as a reference point to mitigate our personal biases and value judgments in determining what constitutes a safe home for each child we serve. Thank you so much, Leslie, for that beautiful and powerful summary. I think you really did um, hit the nail on the head. And just for taking the time to join us and talk through these kind of like really uh, big and incredibly important ideas around um, child safety and um, yeah, looking, making sure that we are looking through our MSL lens at every step. Um, as we walk alongside these families um, that we really have the privilege to um, get to partner with and these um, children and youth that we um, are advocating for their best interest. Um, so really, really appreciate you and um, your perspective and your wisdom. And um, any last words you want to say before we wrap up? Um, just it's great to see you and be here today. Um, and I did want to let everybody know that on the Texas CASA program portal on the VCA page, there is a quick guide for MSL. Um, it's a great just two-sided five-by-seven card with everything you'd want to know and remember about MSL. Um, so it's great for volunteers, for staff members, um, for everybody. So I hope everyone will go and use that quick guide as a resource. Awesome. And I will put a link to that in the description of the episode too, so folks can find it easily. Leslie, thank you again so much. It's been a joy and we'll see y'all next month. Bye. Thanks for listening to Casa on the Go. Join us next time for more dynamic continuing education brought to you by Texas Casa.